It's the Paul Patterson and Tom Scallon podcast show. They're talking the walk and not about sloppy, sloppy Joes. So, talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk. Talking walk, talk, talking walk show. Welcome back to episode 28 of Talking the Walk. Episode called Mike Webster. I'm Paul Patterson. And I'm Tom Scallon for all of you that think that I'm no longer involved in the podcast. Peter, you going? And our guest is. And I'm Peter Sand, guest extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So the 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 funny thing is is that um, everyone knows who's who's on tonight because it's back to the original song, which means obviously it's going to be you. The song gives it away as to who's hosting and who's not hosting. Well, sometimes you got to mark your territory. Okay. I, th I think that's good. Original music, Jake Brown. Original artwork, Bailey Bishop. Social media director, Tyler Stanley. Fact checker, resident fact checker, Jill Martin. And marketing, Jeff Graby. At some point in time, Jeff Graby is going to actually earn his paycheck that he's getting. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen, but sometime soon. So, Dowling's out of the playoffs, so he's got nothing but time. He should. Well, he's also in the middle of wrestling right now, too. Nope, they've all been shut down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's go, Gravy. Little side note for you um, self aware statement by Jake Brown that his song for Lee last week was awful. <laughs> he, he sent it to me. And he already said, this is terrible. It's not very good. Um, and I'm like, who cares? We've got to play it. So let's get it. So we played it. And then he listened to it again. And he said, when I heard it playing through the speaker, and I don't remember if he was in his car or if he was, if he was walking Paisley. Um, but he said, it was even worse than what I remember. It was really hard to listen to. I got a kick out of that. Any comments from you? Well, no, because if I make any comments, he gets really upset. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything negative at all. I did listen to it, despite what people think. Um, okay, so let's, that, is, that, is a, that is a half truth. Total it's truth. A, it is not. You did not listen. Pete, did he not admit I earlier that he did not listen to all of it? Correct. He admitted he stopped listening at no, I, I listened a point to that it that, lost his I interest. to all of that shit-ass song. Whoa, whoa. Got to now change the, now we got to change the rating. What in the world is going on? Golly, this is supposed to be a family-friendly podcast, and here we are. Ugh. We're hopping into the podcast confessional. Sounds like somebody should be in there about their lying. First one for me, <laughs> banquet happened, right? The banquet is all done. Therefore, I opened my card from the uh, seniors. 
Remember, I told you I wouldn't open it until things happened. Like, you know, I won't open, won't open a birthday card until it's my birthday. Anyway, so that happened. So I got to open my card. Second one had an absolute. Were you excited? Yeah, that was a very nice note in there. I appreciated it. Um, an absolute disaster for dinner last night with me grilling burgers. Um, grease fire that was unbelievable charred the outside of the burgers left the inside of the burgers not cooked so I had to resort to putting them in the oven for a little while to bake them um, and the charred out hey I had to figure out a way not to continue to char them right why are you looking at that what would you do eat them raw they're best that way you probably had the perfect burger and you didn't even know it there is no way. So had to finish cooking them in the oven so that no more char happened on the outside. And then we just, we had them for leftovers, but the, the char was thick um, on those suckers. So very, very big mistake on my part, cooked them too, on too high a temperature and too much grease pooling on the bottom, which caused a, an out of control fire. Um, embarrassing. You know, but we lived and uh, we survived as far as eating. Well, you talked about this earlier today, actually, at uh, supervision, lunch supervision. When you say out of control, you said you almost lit your deck on fire. No, I got nervous about the house is what I got nervous about. Because so the, the, the adjustment that I made with the grill was I turned it so that it was facing the light that's down outside our um, outside our sliding glass door down here in the basement. And so turning it put the one corner of the grill closer to the house, which, you know, on a normal night, zero issues with that. However, when there's an inferno on the inside of the grill, seems to be a little bit of a problem and a little trepidation, if you will. Just throw some water on that grease fire. It'll be all right. Yeah. And make it splatter, right? I mean, throw it down there so it splatters everywhere. Good plan. Yeah, I remember the story about the uh, um, whatever the restaurant was at uh, the State Fair, Iowa State Fair, where they had a grease fire and the kid threw the water on it and spread it and burned the place down. I'm not making that mistake. Instead, we just had to deal with charred burgers. So, anybody else uh, got a podcast confessional? Okay, moving on to feedback. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. I can't wait. I can't wait for feedback. We're coming after you, Scallon. First one, Tim Clay responded. Um, he thought the song that Jake tried to remake was um, Five for Fighting, Superman. <laughs> I'll tell you, after, after Tyler Shamel um, after I read his, I'll let you know what the actual song was because Tyler Shane will get, he guessed it right. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. So he appreciated the shout out for the Down and Off podcast that, uh, that he's got going. And here's his question. Maybe you two can answer this. When you get fries from Bebop's and you get a shake from Bebop's, are you dipping your fries in the ketchup or are you dipping your fries in the chocolate shake? Where are you going? Um, I don't like ketchup, 
nor would I dip my fries in the chocolate shake. However, if my wife is with me, she is a fries in the chocolate shake kind of gal. Okay. Okay. Pete, what do you got? But, but time out. Normally, we wouldn't go to Bebop's. We'd go to Culver's. So where would – Culver's has got frozen custard. Are you dipping yeah, – Well, is she well we still did the same thing fries? frozen custard. I'm just – I'm just letting everybody know that we would be uh, upscale. <laughs> or five guys, burgers. Um, Pete, what do you got? Chocolate shake or ketchup? Well, I only go to Bebop's. I can't afford Culver's like some administrators. Um, I've tried dipping the fries into the shake, and it just wasn't my thing. Okay. I like to have them separate, and I don't even do ketchup. Bebop's fries are perfect enough without any condiments. Okay. Doesn't are you, shock me at all that Pete likes his things separate. Are you a little extra <laughs> salt on your fries or not? Just normal. How they do it. They do okay. it well. I don't have to ask you because I know the answer to that. And it doesn't matter where you're getting fries from. That's right. Extra salt. Extra salt. So Eric Neeson is a two two parter. We're gonna read the first one and then we'll come back to the next one. The first one, um, he he sent uh, a Caddyshack video where, where he is telling his grandson, you will get nothing and like it. You know, where he's like, I want a burger and I want some nachos. And, I, and he just keeps going down the list. And then grandpa says, you will get nothing and like it. Um, October 22nd, he sent a text that In-N-Out Burgers, by far best fast food burger. Lee is correct. They are good and out of Southern California. So that was a little... Uh, little confirmation there and then he thought that we should give the jv mvp award a name and call it the nick bruner award if nick bruner is like the a lifelong achiever on on jv football jeff gravy um was really happy and excited to hear that uh jake experienced bebops and he recommends the double with bacon and cheese from bebops banquets um they didn't do one at the middle school this year or i'm sorry at uh, at dowling this year um and Middle school wrestling is usually breakfast pizza and him saying something about every eighth grader uh, and may involve a little roasting, you know, typical. He listened to the pod driving to the dome on Friday with Griffin, who is his oldest. And he remembered our Sergeant Bluff Luton game um, and Zach Cook's tackle on the screen in the second half, which forced the punt, which, which was a, a really big moment for us. Kind of sealed any chance that they had at, at momentum at that point in time in the game. Um, and he said that coaches' wives have a special place in heaven. And then Griffin tried to back him into a corner here by asking which was the best meal um, that, he, that he ate here at our house after, uh, after a game on a Friday night. And Jeff came and said they were all too good to make a choice. And I, I came back I'll and – I'll tell Christy what he's good at and not good at. I'm, there's certain ones that are delicious. I told him – if you asked all of our coaches currently, they almost all have a favorite. They may, I don't know that they, any of them have anything they're like, oh, yeah, why did she make that? I think they all have a favorite. Um, you know, little pizzas, um, those, those sliders that she made this year, you know, those were really good. Um, buffalo chicken wing dip, buffalo wing dip. Um, but see, they're called is, so I'm not a big fan of the sliders. I never have been. I just don't like sliders in general, but 
she also makes like the different dips and whether it's the the buffalo chicken dip or whether it's the the uh with frank's hot sauce yes what's the other one the texas caviar sure there's always a if you don't like that then you can go eat six pounds of cheese and <laughs> the texas caviar and the other dip you know so there, there's the crazy thing that she does is there's so many options right you can, you can find a way to fill yourself up um but I would say that a vast majority would be able to pick at least one that is their, their favorite. Like they're excited when they know that's what we're having on Friday. Um, Trevor Tompkins is finally all caught up on the pods. Um, he may be, Oh shoot. I forgot. I was going to do that. He made several good points about banquets and, and I think it's, it's worthy to, uh, to read some of them and I didn't write them all down. So now I gotta, I gotta hurry up and, and find him. Um, and get that done. Boy, that's terrible planning on my part. By well, the way. you're not supposed to respond to him unless you've written down everything. I did. I, I wrote down notes. You know what I mean? To, to check. So I guess that's how I do it. Um, I do think banquets are parent driven. And I also think that's fine. It's not necessarily about, hey, look at my kid. Look what he did. Now, this is where things get really, I think, very poignant when it comes to a parent's perspective about our banquets specifically concerning football. Um, he is such a great athlete. Self-indulgence play. For most parents, it is far more important to hear how their son handled himself as a young man because we do have to entrust so much to the coaches, trust the process, stay positive for the child and avoid toxic conversation the entire season. And because this program has proven that kids get way more out of it than football skills, hundreds of senior speeches aren't smoke and mirrors. Um, I think parents do enjoy sharing in their child's success and committing and fighting through years of diversity and coming out of it better men. I think it's also human and I also think it's worth the effort the coaches put into it because it's also a great opportunity to sell the program, which is bigger than any one individual. So I thought that was, that was and that was, by the way, a lot for me to, to write down in the journal. So I thought that was really well said. And sometimes, you know, for us, it, it takes a little bit of, of somebody else's perspective to help us see the good that we're doing and, and the positives to those things so that we can, we get a better understanding and just a different way. Of looking at it. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, Tyler Shamel, correct guess on what song Jake Brown redid. And that was Colt 45 and two zigzags also known as crazy rap by Afro man. Um, very inappropriate song, incredibly inappropriate. And I had a tough time, I mean, I knew that was the song that he was redoing, but man, I had a tough time hearing it. I thought it was closer to Jane Says by uh, Jane's Addiction. You know what song that is? You, I, I thought that was the song. <laughs> so you and I are very similar in our, in our thought there, um, but that's not what was intended. It was two zigzags and, or Colt 45 and two zigzags. In fact, when you were making fun of me about not listening, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can name the song that he covered. I, guess no, you not. Couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't and I knew what the, I knew what the song was I'm surprised Lee Nelson didn't guess that correctly because I believe we listened to Afro Man in one of the suburban rides home from football game before um, and he sang every single word guarantee it guarantee it um, <laughs> this was probably the funniest of, oh, so nice job, Tyler Shamel, getting that right. 
funniest one for me, meat, so also known as Jeff Cleaver to the, to the general public. Um, here's, here's his text, and I wrote it word for word. That 97 banquet at Echo Valley was brutal. <laughs> it was like four and a half hours. It was incredible. Um, he said a really long highlight tape for an 019, if he remembered correctly. Um, yes, I was going to say, and we were 09. Yeah. Are you ready for this one? This is a shot at you. Right. Caleb Seymour. He enjoyed the new song. Would love it if Jake could make a new intro song as often as possible. So not just for Lee, but just as often as possible. He agrees with Shamel. Scanlon needs to step his hosting game up. Nelson is making him look silly. <laughs> I don't really feel bad about that. You can... You can fire me. You tried to pink slip me today by taking my locker away. Oh my so gosh. If you're going to pink slip me off the podcast, that's fine. You are very dramatic today. It is incredible. It's the COVID. It makes me emotional. <laughs> I'm pretty upset that Caleb Seymour would not be in my, my, uh, not be in my side. So. so we'll go back to Tyler Shamel, because obviously you didn't hear that, which was a correct prediction by Lee. Tyler Shamel from the week before is, is, this is him. He does not like it that Scanlon rarely has a confessional. Thinks Nelson does an excellent job as the guest host when it comes to the confessional. And Tyler also threw in there that he is absolutely flabbergasted that most of the time you act like you are shocked that the confessional is now happening. Like, oh, shoot, I'm unprepared. I didn't know that it was happening. So sorry. I, uh, maybe next week I'll get it. Okay, well, maybe we should tell them that you, I always know the confessional's happening. I don't know what you're confessing. But the, it's me confessing. I'm not confessing for you. You're supposed yeah, to be. No, happy. but all of a sudden, so you start a confessional that, hey, by the way, I like toilet paper to roll up instead of down like it should. And I'm supposed to know that that's what we're confessing about you can confess anything it's a confessional yeah no i i'll confess to the church and i haven't done that for like 25 years if at the end of the day they don't hang a sign outside the confessional on wednesdays and say hey we're only taking people who stole food from the pantry okay so let's set the record straight i'm never shocked that the confessional's happening i have no reason to confess all the many things that I probably need to confess on air on this podcast. I think that's where the complaints are coming. Yeah. Well, okay. So part of the feedback is, what should I confess? Hey, I told you you're not very good. You need to work harder. I, that's like <laughs> 2,000 kids right now. Uh, okay. We're going to move on. Eric Neeson. Here's just part confess. two. Here's part two. He sent, and this was funny, he sent a bar stool, and I don't remember what it was for. It was one of the many bar stools, but it had all of the um, favorite fast food restaurants for each state. And somehow, some way, Iowa had In-N-Out Burger on it. And the conclusion that Eric came up with was that the only two people they polled were Lee Nelson and Eric Neeson. And so, therefore, that's why Iowa was in and out because it's a Southwest chain. Why would Iowa vote for In-N-Out Burger being their favorite burger? 
Um, and then he mentioned Five Guys as another burger chain, you know, burger joint. And maybe now, he and I had a little conversation, maybe we need to get into this whole top five, top 10 um, burger joints. And, and um, that's a little premonition there for you. A little looking into the future as to what's well, coming soon. You said that earlier. So where I'm disagreeing is I think I told you that maybe it was off air though, that we should be taking ourselves live when we're not in the pandemic and we can go someplace. Yeah, I agree. And we'll decide what burgers are good because Five Guys to me is not that great a burger and it's more expensive than Culver's. It, I, we, the Patterson family would wholeheartedly agree with the expensive side. And their fries are, McDonald's fries are still hard to beat if you get them cooked right now. I'm with you on that too. I am, yeah, yeah. That's why we get along so well. Extra salt too on the, on the McDonald's fries. You pour them all back in the bag, put the salt in, and shake them up. Yes, if you want it done right. Yes. If you want it done in a hurry, you just pour the salt on it and then start eating because you're hungry. Yeah. You just got to be careful that you don't order 12 Cokes and one Dr. Pepper. <laughs> no, you can order that one Dr. Pepper. You just have to have it distinguished. I mean, it need, you need to know which one is the Dr. Pepper. Um, Agreed. Agreed. I feel bad about this one, this last one, and this is the last bit of feedback. I feel bad. Michelle Flores told me this several weeks ago, and I, and I forgot to write it in my journal, so I apologize, Michelle. But she said that when she has a conversation in person with me, I, I, I speak um, fine. But for whatever reason, when she listens to me on the podcast, she hears the Wisconsin side of me um, coming out more and more. So I, I thought that was that was interesting. So the the twang of of Wisconsin um, is out just a little bit more when I'm when I'm talking on the podcast to her. I spend most of my time trying to discern whether or not you're being sarcastic or real. So I I never hear that Wisconsin twang. Everything on here is sincere. All of my reactions to you lying. All of my reactions to you. Um, rebutting all the things that we talk about. Um, you two got any feedback? Pete, you got any feedback? Don't. Okay. Scallon, do you hear anything? You already read it all. So moving on to high school sports. I think the first thing we need to talk about is our, our girls swim team, which again, little side note, um, broke away from Lincoln so that they could compete and them and Carlisle, I think it was just those two. I don't know that we had anybody, because Martinsdale, does Martinsdale go to Indianola? I don't know. Anyway, we, we had Carlisle and Norwalk girls, and our girls finished 11th overall at, state, at the state swim meet here this last weekend in March, which was, a, um, I think, a pretty good accomplishment for our girls, considering where they were um, six weeks ago, you know, and where they, where they finished. So great job out of the parents, great job out of the girls, and um, fantastic job at the state swim meet. Debate, um, just finished the uh, CIDL championships and they are back-to-back -back CIDL champions. Um, I don't remember, do you remember seeing anything? Was this the first time they were back-to-back? -back? CIDL champions or not? I don't remember. I just know that they are in fact back-to-back. -back. The last time they were really good is under uh, Al Hart. Okay, but we, we cannot confirm or deny the back-to-back -back being the first time. Yeah, I don't remember Al being back-to-back, -back, 
but I'm not saying I followed it closely enough to know that for the case. But okay, they were they were really good with him for several years, and then there was a big lull until Jennifer came along. Um, boys basketball, wrestling, bowling, boys bowling, no boys and girls bowling, both both started and uh, and boys swimming all started this week. Um, a couple of updates. Um, Pete, I don't know if you want to chime in on, on some of those things as far as like wrestling having to, they, they split their squad and some of the different things that people are doing. Um, practice wise, wrestling is splitting. They're using two locations. They used the Boyer Zone yesterday. Um, and now with middle school being shut down and some other feedback from the, the school, they're splitting between the wrestling room and the middle school gym, um, which is really nice because our room is so small um gives them more space um more ventilation um so where did they uh, be working out pretty well what weight class did they split at right now i think the little smaller guys were down yeah. in the middle school bigger guys were in the high school and they're going to kind of alternate that every couple days no, I, okay I think, so what did they did they split at 52 did they split at 45 brandon was Brandon was going to try and figure out where the where that line was of of half and half. I do not know what weight class okay. they split at. No. Okay. Uh, but I think once we get going past wrestle offs, then they'll kind of split it more JV varsity, um, so that those guys can work with the individual coaches Makes uh, a little sense. more one on one. Um, basketball girls are together uh, since we have smaller numbers um, and boys they split like normal varsity and JV and freshman um, varsity went after school today otherwise they typically like to go later after the girls um, coach Larson kind of likes keeping that late schedule um, and we're off the roll and and then uh, um, utilizing as many facilities as we can right now and not that we weren't in years past but but trying to utilize as much as we can as far as uh, um, where people are. Orchard Hills and, and, and Oviet and Lakewood and high school, middle school, all, all over. Yeah, and we typically have to spread out just from our space issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, state football, you know, this week is, is Thursday and Friday and obviously a little different um, for us. We are not going to state football for the first time in – 22 years did we go in 98 did we go in 98 together no i think we went 99 was our first year that's when, that's when me you and boys went i think it was 99 when cheaters was there yes Tom! <laughs> um so i, I actually the bad part about that is of course my son's birthday doesn't fall on the championship game day because sometimes i don't get to go yeah because and, i want to be here for his birthday but and you know covid got me again um that one is that one is tough because that's always a day for us you know go up um thursday night for the 3a game and then you know for me here recently go to a board meeting board of directors meeting on friday um we are doing that on saturday morning at eight for uh through zoom what'd you say you you have to go to mr big time meetings Something along those lines, yeah. That, that would be accurate in your verbiage, I guess, your vocabulary. Yes, accurate. Um, so that's not happening. We're not handing out, IFC isn't handing out any awards 
um, at, at halftime, although I did see, and I don't know if they changed it or not, but it still looked like they were doing Hall of Fame, Player Hall of Fame inductions, which is, which is through the Athletic Association. Um, it looked like that was still taking place, although that was prior to them limiting state championship attendance to two per participant. Um, so I don't know if that's going to change. Anyway, Thursday, Fremont Mills, Jeremy Christensen um, is taking on Remsen St. Mary's. Grundy Center, Travis Zajac. Um, is taking on Iowa City Regina, Regina and Marv Cook. Don't know Marv Cook, but uh, I know Travis Zajac well, and I know Jeremy Christensen well, if you want to go. Let's go big time. I'll, I'll big time you here this whole time. Um, Harlan, Todd Blatt, first time that uh, somebody else other than Kurt Blatt has led the Harlan community, Little Cyclones, to a, a state championship game. You know, when did Kurt take over? Like 1972, 74, somewhere in there. And now one of his boys is, is – uh, running that and then they're taking on North Scott first time for North Scott to be in the state championship and that's Kevin Tippett um so little side note Kevin Tippett and Jeremy Christensen and I were on the 2012 South Triangle staff um that's how I got to know those guys really well and then um Travis Ajak was on the North Triangle staff in 2017 um, so OABCIG Back again. Last year, however, they were 2A state champs. Now they're in the 1A state championship game against Eric Trudeau and Van Meter Bulldogs, which I do believe, if I'm not mistaken, this is Van Meter's third time in four years being in a state championship game or fourth time in five years. I can't, it's either three of four or four or five, and I can't remember which. Um, then you have Central Lion George Little Rock against Wakan. Wakan, I think, was one of the bigger upsets in the entire um, semi-final round where they upset number one PCM and then Southeast Pope Brad Zlinovich who was on the South Shrine Bowl staff with me in 2017. Um, Simpson Simpson alum. Yes Simpson alum and uh, is taking on Ankeny in the uh, 4A game on Friday. So um, first time in eight years that Dowling Catholic has not does not have a chance to win a state championship. So Ankeny knocked them out in double overtime. Former Norwalk employee, Mike Lynch, his son, Andrew, had uh, two touchdown catches in that uh, semifinal game for the Maroons. And one called back, right? Oh, did he really have one called back? I didn't start watching until the fourth quarter, so I, I missed that. I thought he did have one called back. Could be. Um, so that really is it, you know, as far as uh, um, state football goes, as far as the games. Um, now, I, some of the things that uh, – Governor Kim Reynolds has, has thrown at us. You know, last week we, we knew the restrictions for winter sports. Um, and now, you know, she said she wasn't going to touch state football. Well, now state football has been touched. State football, you get two um, tickets per participant. And that does not include coaches. That does not include managers. That does not include cheerleaders. That does not include anybody that has to do with stats. It is players only, two participants. 16,000-seat venue which will have about 100 or about 500 um, people. Now, before we start freaking out, remember, last year, state basketball had a capacity crowd at Wells Fargo Arena for the semifinals and then turned around and ended up with 100 people for each team um, at the championship game. So very similar guidelines to what happened um, last year indoors with 
state basketball. But with basketball, it was 100 per team, including players, coaches, managers, athletic trainers, bus drivers. Um, so that was reduced even more. Um, we had an awesome state final game and championship winning that. Our, our crowd, limited numbers, was great. So I'm guessing at the football games, it'll still be a great atmosphere, even with the reduced numbers. Um, and it should be should be fun. Well, the the I mean the thing to remember is is that you know there's only 15 kids on a roster for basketball. You know you're talking uh, a significant difference in they wouldn't be able to limit to 100. Um, so they're going that route. And and you're you're I mean we'll see how it goes. But I, I guess for me and then the last thing that she did was she she shut down youth sports. Um, U sports are on the shutdown. So before we get too crazy and, and worked up about youth sports not being able to happen, remember last spring, there wasn't a whole lot of guidance as far as youth sports went. There, there, were, there were basketball practices happening. There were baseball practices happening. There were softball practices happening. Things were still going on, um, even though high school kids couldn't do anything. And that was a big complaint from the, from the high school side is how do youth sports get to go? And now it's flipped right now. Um, doesn't mean that that's the way it's gonna stay but that's the way it is right now. And I think it's important for us to remember. And the final piece for me, where we get too crazy about, oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't go. Last spring, the number one thing that people wanted, just let my kid play. Just let them play. Well, now they get to play. Remember that. Yes, they're limiting it to two, but it could be worse. We could take state championships away and say, yeah, it's too dangerous for us to do that, but we're not doing that. We're letting them play. I think that's the issue is that, you know, parents have put in a lot of time for their athletes to get to this point and, you know, they get to see, they want to see their son play in that championship. They get to, but, you know, you want to celebrate that with a lot of people. Now, not that uh, Hoover High School ever played in any sort of state championship, but I did play in some bigger games later in college and I would tell you a lot of those guys are playing for each other. You know, they're playing for that, that what we always say, play for the guy to the left, the guy to the right. All my memories are about who I played with. And I appreciate everything my parents gave up for me, but it, it, all my memories are about the guys that I practiced with and played with. And to get a play in a state championship, I think you're exactly right. That's all those kids want. And yeah. sorry if everybody can't be there, but they get to play. If there were no fans there, those kids are still going to play as hard as they possibly could for each other. I and, think the, that's what I think we try to, that's what I think we try to teach them too. I think it's also important for us to remember is that, you know, if, if you were to ask the players, what's more important, 25 fans for each player or no game? Which, which would you rather have? Well, I, I think they're going to choose, you know, being able to have a game at the, at the very least. And, and I think we need to make sure we remember that. Last yeah. spring, we didn't have any games. As a player, I always wanted to impress my, my dad. Um, but I don't know that it mattered if he was in the stands or if he could watch online, if my dad could figure out the internet. But <laughs> if he could figure those things out, him having the ability just to see me play in a game like that would be enough. Um, you want to impress your father, then you're jumping off sides and hitting the quarterback. 
My, well, that'd be a, that's a different podcast. My dad's beliefs on how to win games prior to the game happening. And just making it fun, making the game of football fun. Um, do we have anything else? Pete, you got anything else for high school sports? Kelly, you got anything else for high school sports? Nope. Okay, we're getting into non-sponsor. Is everybody ready for this? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. Is it Uts? 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 Uts. And planters mixed nuts with sea salt. Now, why are they? Why? Well, that just doesn't seem weird. Well, at the request of our athletic trainer, our certified athletic trainer, um, those were two of the treats that used to be in my old office for kids that had a tough time um, with their salt intake and, and cramping. So we had salty snacks in my office for them to stop by and take a red solo cup. Yes, you can think whatever you want to there. Red solo cup um, and put their pile of either mixed nuts or pretzels in there and then help with increasing their salt uh, so that they had a less likely chance of cramping. So those are our non-sponsors. Why is our episode called Mike Webster? Well, Alan Stanley, here it is. We are finally gonna talk concussions and CTE. Mike Webster, was a, a Pittsburgh Steeler. He was the center for Terry Bradshaw's uh, teams. And, and, and I say Terry Bradshaw, he's a quarterback, not like he was Chuck Noll, the coach. Um, but he was in the 70s when they won when the, uh, what was it, four um, NFL titles, four Super Bowls. And he started to do some bizarre things uh, after, he, after he retired from football and they couldn't figure out what the deal was. Well, in 2002, at, at the age of 50, he was found dead in his truck, and it was it was uh, um, determined that he had died from a heart attack. Well, they decided that they would do an autopsy or a uh, um, yeah an autopsy on him, and they discovered CTE in the brain. And he was the very first brain that was examined and determined that he had CTE. So that's why we named the episode. Mike Webster, because that's what we're going to talk about. And he was the very first that led us down the path that we're down right now. Um, of course, before we get into the Papa Burger section, we got to appease Brad Criswell with a little Criswell's Corner. And it would be really neat if I had some sort of sound effect right now to, to play, but I don't. So we're just going to go in it. Pete, as our guest, walk us in your shoes and give us a little Criswell's Corner. Uh, my name is Peter Sand. I'm the athletic trainer for Norwalk High School. Um, I'm a Unity Point employee. Um, I am a Norwalk grad. Uh, moved to Norwalk and I think I was about one or two. Um, grew up in the town, graduated in 2002. Uh, went on to Coe College where I studied athletic training, um, which is why Jake Brown likes to throw pop shots at Coe's because he's outnumbered by Schmitz and I, so he gets a little defensive. Um, after Co went to UNI for graduate school, stayed up in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area and worked with Hudson High School for five years. Um, got recruited by Coach Schmitz to come back down here uh, twice. The first time he called in the middle of football season um, and I wasn't able to come down, couldn't leave my responsibilities up there. Um, but when it opened up in 2010, um, I jumped on it, applied, was lucky enough to get the position, and started in June of 2011. So I'm coming up on 10 years this summer. Wow. Any, anything Ten else we years. should know? 
about what, Paul? Your life. Do you have any, um, do you have any children? Do you have any yes. pets? Do you, do you have a love of your life in your, in your world? Yes, I have a wife who is the love of my life, Alicia. Um, I have two sons, Cameron, who's a senior at Norwalk, and we have a honorary little toddler, um, Finn. Uh, we also have one dog who you may hear barking, um, even though I've hidden on the opposite end of the house. And uh, we live in Norwalk, um, about a block away from where I grew up. Um, little, little side note for our listeners that um, Pete and Brandon Schmitz were, how close did you two live to one another? Uh, two blocks. Two blocks. They were, they were neighborhood um, rugrats together, if you will. And David Graham, you got to throw Graham in there. Well, I, was, I didn't, I was outside that circle of Schmitz, Graham, and the Thompson boys. Um, so I, I kind of dabbled and hung out with them in high school, but I missed probably all of their shenanigans prior to that, thankfully the bowling ball off the roof and whatever else they did that, that uh, we should not. I don't, talk I don't about. know if that absolves you of all the sins saying that I hung out with them in high school. <laughs> I, I just, everything prior to that, I want to uh, be excluded from probably. Probably a good idea. Okay. Well, welcome. And thank you for, uh, you know, opening up a little bit there in old Criswell's corner. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the history of athletic training here at Norwalk, just so that we can give just a little bit background, a little bit of a background here. Um, you know, the, the first thing, when we first started athletic training, um, it, it was just for football only uh, when it first started. And we had, uh, it, it was a stipend. There wasn't a whole lot of, lot of money involved with that one. Um, you know, and then we, we, we kind of transitioned. We had Joel Odell. Um, and then, and then there was a, a, a darker period in there where, where we had a couple of things going on. And then we went to uh, Jamie Elrod, um, and little side note, I think Jamie, if I'm not mistaken, Jamie Elrod's first game was the miracle at South Tama where she came into the locker room. I don't remember who exactly I was chewing out, but that might've been, yeah, I won't say his name. It, I was livid with our offensive line at that point in time, chewing them out. And that was quite a, I don't know if that was eye opening for her or not, but anyway. Um, She's also, also part of the uh, testicle. Yes. At, at uh, Pella later that year in 2008. Um, so, and then after Jamie left, then that's when we got you. That's kind of how that, uh, that shook out. You know, yeah, still have Jamie's name um, and tape residue on the high school athletic training room. Do you really? Yeah. Kids look at him and it's like, uh, who's Jamie? So I know I've been here for a while if uh, they don't even remember the previous 18. Yeah. She's, she has been a while. And shoot, Joel Odell. I mean, he was, he was here for a while and then, and then gone. And then we had that little transition um, from – and I don't remember where he worked to – He was Mercy, I believe. Is that what I saw him when I was in high school, and he was very limited – game coverage and maybe once a week or once every other week that he stopped at the school. He was with us quite a bit though, football wise. Okay. Um, so let's talk about things going on now in the world of athletics, especially in high school. What education is going on as far as the coaches, what's going on education wise for the players and what education wise is going on for athletic trainers 
in the world of concussions. Why don't you lead with the coaches? Okay. Coaches side so, so every year, the, the, the thing that we have to do is we've got to go through a rules meeting um, for each sport. And then regardless, so if, if I coach football and then I coach wrestling and then I coach track and then I coach baseball, I have to watch that concussion video four times um, as I get ready for a sport. At least I think you have to watch it for each sports season as you get ready to go. Um, and basically, it, it is a, uh, it's a refresher course on, on what you should do and how you should handle things and the signs and symptoms of, of a concussion. Um, I will tell everybody that's listening, you know, that we're fortunate to have you um, because, it, well, I should say we, we are, it's a double-edged sword. We are fortunate to have you from the standpoint that we do not have to do any diagnosing of concussions or we don't have to take anybody through the return to learn plan or any of that or return to play plan any of that you handle all of that which is absolutely fantastic but we also become less sharp um does that make sense that's why i'm saying it yeah. you you help us a ton but that also takes a that takes things off of our plate and because it's off our plate we don't have to be um we, we just aren't as sharp we don't practice it all the time like you do. That makes sense. But you have the knowledge to recognize. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. You have the knowledge to recognize when a kid needs further evaluation. And that's really all that a coach should be doing anyway, um, just to make sure that the kid is not at risk and getting taken care of appropriately. Yes, I agree. There you go. There you go. Because yeah, I think the last time I diagnosed something was Kirk Bedwell. And he came off the field and said his ankle really hurt and I squeezed it a few places and he's like, yeah, it kind of hurts. And I'm like, well, I think you're good to go. He played the rest of the game. And then uh, we found out later that he had a broken ankle, but probably shouldn't I, be laughing. I respect Kirk for, you know, being really tough. Um, so that's the, that's the coach's side, you know, the, the player side, I think the, the two things that we try to educate our players on, and, and Pete, you, you, you can speak to this also, but the first one is making sure we tell the truth. You know, I think the, the number one problem that we have is we get kids who want so badly to be back on the field and play that they hide some of those signs and symptoms that they've had. You know, well, yeah, I did have a headache when I woke up, but I'm not going to tell you about the fact that I had a headache when I or I threw up earlier, you know, I'm being drastic and dramatic, but, but we want them to be honest. The second thing is, is making sure that they understand some of the differences between what they're feeling and what's going on, you know, a hangnail versus a sprained ankle versus a finger that's pointing the wrong direction versus sensitivity to light versus, I mean, it's just trying to educate them on all the different things that go on in the world of athletics. So those would, to me, those would be the big two, be the big two. Yeah, going, going through those things, concussion education, the kids are supposed to read the heads up concussion fact sheets um, and return to play protocols. Um, every year prior to participating in athletics with the online registration, um it gets in front of the parents not necessarily the kids um but it's there and they're supposed to read that um and i go over that when we do have an injury and you know after four years the kids weren't reading it 
if it was hard paper anyway, they would just sign the form. Um, so it doesn't get directly in front of them, but getting in front of the parents, I do think that the points are made um, within the household um, about what signs and symptoms to watch for. And the main thing is just, if signs or symptoms are observed, we have to remove you and get you evaluated. And if you are have a teammate that you notice those signs or symptoms or they're telling you that, um, you need to report that to a coach, athletic trainer, um, or if the student athlete themselves are having symptoms that they need to report it to coach, athletic trainer, some type of adult um, so that we can get it taken care of. And, and most of the time, the parents aren't reading that either. They're also just signing it. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you. Um, so what about for you? What kind of what kind of procedures or 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 education? I guess I'm jumping ahead. What kind of education are you in the athletic training world getting? So in athletic training, um, for our continuing education units, we're required 50 hours minimum um, every two years, and 10 of those hours have to be specifically evidence based, and with all of the concussion research out there, there's always some type of concussion education at our state meetings, um, regional or national meetings, um, or just online education about different aspects of such a complex injury um, that a lot of those hours are getting filled with concussion education. And then, you know, we can supplement them with other orthopedic or other specialty areas. Um, it's not required specific amount of concussion education per se, but I would imagine every athletic trainer sets aside a good portion of their continuing education just for concussions because we're learning so much about it every year. What do we have for procedures? What are in place now for procedures when it comes to concussions? At our school? Yes, at our school. At our school, um, and when you are assessed with a concussion, um, and I will say I don't diagnose, I assess and evaluate. I leave it to the doctors to diagnose. Um, excellent, excellent um, job on distinguishing between the two there. Thank you. I don't want to upset any physicians that might be listening to this. Um, but once, once we identify that, um, we need to make sure that you're getting taken care of. I usually recommend getting in to see your primary care or a concussion specialist probably earlier on, that's when your symptoms are the worst. Um, then I communicate with the academic side. Um, I typically email our advocates and our school nurse um, and PE teachers if needed um, about what's going on so that the student athlete um, has those resources at school and so that the school is aware because it's not just the athletics that are affected. Um, so. They check in with me every day. We make sure they're improving, make sure we don't need to do anything extra above and beyond based on symptoms. Um, when they're asymptomatic, um, then I communicate again with uh, the school staff, specifically their individual teachers, asking about return to learn, make sure they're back there pre, um, kind of, it, observable pre-learning level um, in that they're not reporting any symptoms in class. Um, and then if return to learn has been completed, uh, then we can begin our return to play process, um, which everyone is kind of aware of because it's, it's been mandated by the, the Boys Association, the Girls Union, um, you know, guidelines set out that there's a stepwise process with that. 
with the return to learn, it's been a huge advantage this year because we've been able to identify um, some kids that are um, maybe struggling or just a little behind in classes based on the injury. We're able to identify that and figure out interventions if we need to or adjustments. Um, and that's been a big piece because in years past, before we started doing that, um, I would see the kid in the afternoon and I have to go by what they were telling me. Now I get feedback from, you know, up to nine teachers and the school nurse and make sure that I'm not missing anything and the kids accurately reporting so we can get them back as safe as we can. I think the, uh, so two parts here. One, let's just roll right into return to learn and return to play, how, what, what the steps are for that. Um, but also I think the biggest change for all of us is the communication piece. All sides now are communicating with one another and that's huge when it comes to um, the return to learn and return to play. Because if, if a kid had a headache all day um, and you know gets to eighth and ninth and it's gone and then he comes up to you and he says, no, I'm fine. You know, I don't have a headache. Well, that, that isn't the whole truth. And, and you get a much, much better picture of what really is going on when everybody is communicating with one another. And that has been a tremendous um, improvement between, and especially you and Diana. You know, the, the two of you communicating with one another is really where it's been. The, the big but I, I think there's also a third part that I, I would like to hear you speak about is we have those plans. How consistent are those plans amongst other school districts, <laughs> other teams? <laughs> I don't know where you're going with that. I cannot comment um, on other schools. It's the guidelines are there. So everybody's following the guidelines, just like COVID, how different districts interpret some of those guidelines can be different um, based on their physician direction. I know you're rolling your eyes at that. Um, that's as politically correct as I can be. Um, but the communication piece, like Paul said, is huge. Um, communication with the docs to myself has always been great. You know, we're lucky with fantastic docs in town with birth, both Mercy and Unity Point. So that communication is great. Um, so that, you know, they communicate with me and I communicate with them to make sure that we're all on the same page as well. And communicating with Diana uh, makes things easy. Usually she'll give me a heads up if a kid reports um, symptoms during the school day, gives me a heads up that they're gonna come see me so that I know what to expect and make sure that they're not trying to hop into practice. Um, so you're right, the communication piece has been great. And then I do my best to try and communicate with the coaches. So every single party is on the same page. Um, with the return to learn process, the return to learn isn't a stepwise protocol like the return to play. Um, it's adjustments and accommodations with school as needed based on symptoms. So it could go from no school and complete rest up to a half day of school full day of school with the accommodations or adjustments um, all the way up to a full day unrestricted um, prior to starting their return to play. And we need, the reason we do that, and I always say, you know, it's a hokey saying, but it's student athlete, student always comes first. We need to make sure the return to learn is complete before we throw physical exertion on them. So if they can get through a full school day, no symptoms, um, 24 hours there, then we start a return to play. It's a five-step process, um, gradually increasing physical activity. I always call the first day the boring day, a little bit of movement, 
um, little jogging, little bike. Uh, the, the kids feel good. They want to do everything. I don't let them. Um, they get upset with me, but it's the baby step that we build from. If no issues there, then we go to kind of cardio day, increase um, our running and maybe a little bike. Our goal with that day is to increase the heart rate. Make sure increasing heart rate won't cause any problems. No issues that. Then we go to a, a kick your butt day, as I call it. Um, throw everything we can at them. Um, sprints, change of body positions. We keep the cardio up. Try and simulate a practice activities as best we can. Least favorite and, day in the return to return to play um, five step process for all kids, especially linemen. Day three yes. is awful. Yes, and we I, I try and adjust. Days. <laughs> I try and adjust based on position, um, but nobody likes the the hill bear crawls. If we get to do those, um, it's it's a hard day, and if, you know we're trying to simulate practice conditions, and it's probably actually even a little bit harder, even though it's condensed time frame because there's less rest periods, especially for football. I keep them moving the whole time as much of the time as I can make sure that we don't have any issues if we get through that day then we go to uh, full contact practice and then if they can complete a full contact practice um, we can return to competition with physician clearance um, with football specific at Norwalk we gradually increase our equipment on that so um, Stage two, we'll get them in the helmet. Stage three, we'll get them in the shells um, just to make sure that that extra weight and pressure on the head's not gonna cause any issues. And as we ramp up the activity, we increase the shoulder or the equipment needs as well and ramp them up that way. With our practice, where Norwalk might do it a little different than some other schools, Tom, um, as you're aware, we don't count our Thursdays as full contact practice because those are our thud days we're in shells um, it's a little bit shorter so unfortunately um, if a kid sustains a concussion on friday they're going to miss the next week because even if they became um, asymptomatic over the weekend we can't get through that that phase and back to a full contact practice prior to a comp the next competition so if you were going to design um an athletic department and the role in which the trainer plays, what sort of authority should they have and when should they have that greater authority? Greater than what? So you saw me kind of laughing about the question before. I think there are times when coaches get to say when they think players are okay versus trainers get to say when players are okay. And that just might be my opinion of watching football and who gets to play and who doesn't get to play week in and week out. So I'm wondering, I think at our school, you pretty much have carte blanche to say, this is, this is what's going to happen with this athlete. Do you feel like that's the best way for every trainer? Do you think it, it depends on the system? Well, I, I do think the athletic trainer should have I hate to say ultimate say, um, but in issues that we've ran into, the student athlete might see the doctor one day and then things change and I get to see the kid every day. So I know how things are changing and progressing. Um, so if I get that ultimate say where I could maybe trump a doctor's note and say, no, you're just not ready. Um, I think that's smart. A lot of colleges are now going 
to a medical model where their athletic trainers aren't under the athletic department. Um, they're overseen by like the, the health services so that there shouldn't be that oversight directly by a coach. Um, so the NCAA model is moving towards that to make sure there's not that coercion. Um, I would say I do get a lot of um, leeway at Norwalk um, to make those final decisions. And I appreciate that. But on a lot of things, you know, not specifically concussions on orthopedic injuries, I, I typically try and work with you coaches and we hash out where the kid's at, what they're able to do. Um, and you guys typically give me a perspective that I might not think about and we can let the kid do something that I might not have wanted to do, but it makes sense. And we progress him safely that way. And we're able to, to work it in. And it's a collaboration instead of just one person saying yes or no. It's kind of a team approach. Um, and that's worked out really well at Norwalk for me um, and for us. And I hope other schools are that, that lucky. You know, one of the advantages that we have um, is – you know, you and I have a conversation all the time about, about who we need to talk about, um, and that typically happens every day. But then you also have position coaches where you can go have a conversation with those guys and figure out what they're seeing um, when they see those kids that are coming back. And, and I think that makes a significant difference, too, um, as we go. You know, do you do any tracking when it comes to concussions and, and um, any data that, that's been – that you keep track of so that people know what we've had? Well, outside of just my, my injury notes, um, I do participate in the Iowa Department of Public Health um, Injury Tracking Surveillance Survey. Um, I think it's the second, maybe third year of the, the program. And the Iowa Department of Public Health has partnered with the Iowa Athletic Training Society um, to record data on what schools what kids, what levels, what frequency of concussions are happening um, so that we can kind of better see what the trends across the state, across different sports, across different levels. Um, they haven't disseminated the data necessarily yet, um, but they're collecting all that so we can make sure that we're approaching um, the injuries as well as we can um, moving forward. You know, one of the last pieces of the now um, will be the, the practice guidelines that we have that are set. Um, you know, we, we get um, essentially um, they have taken each phase of tackling or contact and they've given it a number, uh, one through five. And levels four and five have been limited in, in the number of minutes that you get to have um, per day, per week. Uh, when you're in the middle of football season. And I think that's a tremendous change for us, not only from, from a coaching side where you have to, you've got to get a little bit more creative in, in what you're going to do for the skill and drill side of things, but then also from the side that, um, you know, we, we continue to hear this football is the safest it's ever been. Well, part of the reason why it's safe is equipment. You know, as, as you progress, the equipment continues to get better. Just like technology continues to get better, well, well safety equipment continues to get better because there's, there's constant improvements being made. And then the second side of things, why things are safe, is the, the practice side. 
what we get to do in practice and how often we're, we're in full contact with one another is, is now limited. And I think that's significant. And then in my opinion, the third piece, and, and we're spoiled um, in that we have you full time. I think you would find programs that have a full-time athletic trainer are those that run the, the safest programs because we aren't allowing kids back on the field too soon and we aren't misdiagnosing things and we aren't missing things. Now we're not perfect, but overall we're, we're not missing things that might be missed by a, a guy who has to worry about um, all the head coaching duties. Plus he's got to, he's got to serve as kind of a pseudo athletic trainer. Plus he's got to serve as an athletic director and everything else that's going on and then try to help with the kids. So um, we're in a really good spot when it comes to those things. But Paul, how many head coaches, because you're Mr. Big Time, so you know a lot of coaches, <laughs> are really following those guidelines about uh, the level of physicality for, you know, level one, level two, level three, level four? Well, I think, the, I think the hard part for us is, is that whenever I sit in in a meeting and we're having this conversation about that, everybody at the table says, yes, we're following those we don't get to go around and see what other people are doing because everybody's practicing at the same time. So we don't get to, we don't get to see how everybody else is handling their practices. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. And then my, my second part or a totally different question for. Does this have to do with big time again though? I mean, is there no, some not, sort of shot big, in there? This okay. is, this is where, this is where Pete will yell at me is how do, I don't know if Pete will yell at me because I think he believes in these things too. How do we differentiate injury and toughness? Because football was once and should be a sport that teaches young men to be tough and to play through hurt versus injured. Um, I, that's a I'm, great I'm question. Taking, I don't know the answer. And I'm taking the head out of that. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with all the diagnoses, with everything with, you know, the head. Um, but I... Pete knows me, and I, for a long time, I think sports are where we, we're, where we should and can teach young men to, to be tough, and not just because we want them to be macho, but because life is going to deal them a lot of tough situations, and to be able to deal with that, you have to, you have to respond. So I, I wonder sometimes if the addition of a trainer lessens our ability to teach toughness everybody should be i'm gonna disagree i would say we benefit that aspect if you have a full-time athletic trainer then you get to see the kid every day so i know the orthopedic injury i know is it severe how is it progressing can this kid do more today can he can he practice full can he go half go I can say, no, you're, you're going to have pain, but it's okay as long as we're not increasing above this or as long as you're not getting this. You know, we can, I can help guide them and work through those where if it was just you saying, go, go out there and just suck it up, um, you know, they might get that little increase in pain and then they might shut down and they might not want to go back and do it. But if you have, you know, someone saying, no, that's normal, and it's okay. You're not going to further injury. You're just going to increase pain. I think that would benefit that scenario. Well, you got to have a job, so I'm sure you're going to answer like that. But 
<laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. Yeah. Well, oh. it's good to have the, the true Tom Scallon show up to the podcast tonight. Welcome. No, I appreciate Pete's answer. I, because uh, I don't, it's not that I disagree with him. I, I just do believe that sports is a great place to teach toughness. I think this is my personal opinion. I think sometimes we get caught up in remembering how it was in the 2008, 9, and 10 era of, of the training room when we like to spend a lot of time hanging out and talking and conversing and, and things like that and in, in not, the, not the now. Um, here's what I'm going to tell you. If a kid does not want to practice football, he can get that done by continuing to say all the things necessary for him to avoid practicing. If a kid does want to practice football, we can make that happen too. Does that make sense? Um, let's move on to the, real quick, because we're, we're now, we're hour 10 in right now. Can we go through the why? Pete, do you think? Do you think we can do that? Sure. Um, Obviously, we know why are we where we are now. Well, 2002 is what got it started, right? Mike Webster and, and that first um, look at his brain that, that they found that gray matter and they tried to figure out what it was and, and determined that it was CTE. Um, you know, and then, and then all the things that circled that 2002 um, discovery, and then that led to 2011 in the state of Iowa. And what happened in 2011, Pete, in the state of Iowa? Legislation was passed regarding the return to play process and concussion evaluation. Essentially, concussion law was first first signed for the state. Um, that's what we have followed, and we've added the return to learn on top of that. Um, but that was kind of the first stepping stone um, to make it official that these are serious and need to be taken care of appropriately. What did that? What did things look like prior to 2011 when it came to concussions and and the uh, um, it was looking back on it. It was honestly a little, a little scary. Um, now you could have an entire year of classes in, in college regarding this specific injury. Back then it was, it was just uh, one section and the guidelines. I have the 1997 Brain Injury Association um, card that I kept in my fanny pack when I was a young athletic trainer. And it was there's the three grades of concussions. The first one, if they reported symptoms, if those symptoms were reportedly resolved within 15 minutes, they could return to play. And I still, unfortunately, I remember having a watch on the sideline at a game at Roland Story, and I was counting down and let the kid go back in. And it's now we know more about the injury and how symptoms can be delayed and how it can cause further issue if you go back in, either just increasing symptoms or, or worsening the injury or long-term effects that we're learning about. So it was, we were doing what we could at the time, but we've learned so much more that there's a lot more that needs to be done um, presently. And that's, that's what we're trying to do as best we can. But it was, it was the Wild West, and it was a little bit scary to look back on, even though we were doing the best we could at the time. 
I think with that's, the knowledge we have. Yes. That's, that's one of the more difficult things that uh, you and other trainers probably have to deal with is that idea of can a kid go back into the game? You know, we started talking about only getting two tickets to go to the state championship per participant and how emotional that is for these kids that have worked so hard to get to where they are. Um, we've had our own situations where we've got kids and, you know, they have to be ruled out for concussion. That's an emotional thing because many kids have worked really, really hard to get themselves to play in a huge game. Then all of a sudden, I feel fine. What's the problem? And they're ruled out for concussion. I think that's the toughest thing that you deal with from, from you know, coaches and parents and all the different pressure that you have to deal with every time you make some sort of ruling like that. It's tough. Um, the thing I appreciate is, you know, specifically with football, Paul always makes sure to tell the kids and the parents that I am there to make sure that they are as safe as they can be. I'm looking out for their health first and foremost. And with my tenure at Norwalk, knowing the kids as they grow, hopefully that trust helps. It's not an easy decision, but hopefully they understand that I'm coming from a place of love and, and looking out for their best interest if I have to make those hard decisions. Um, you know, parents are have been typically good um, and our coaches are always great. Our coaches, it's always, is the kid going to be okay, not is the kid going to play? Now it is, Tom. And now in the past, maybe some old school bald coaches might have thought differently, but now we are in a very good place. The, uh, the, the other thing that we try to point out as often as possible in that parent meeting when we're talking about you and your, in, the, in the athletic training services that are provided um, is that you make an unemotional decision. And everybody's nodding their head, oh, yeah, we agree. We agree, you know, in August. But when it comes time to actually agree with you when, when their child is hurt is a different story. But we try to set the table early. Um, and, you know, you come to me your freshman year and you stay for football for four years, you're going to hear that message four times. Um, and, and it's important for us to continue to hammer that home. You know, and, and it, it, making those decisions is emotional for me, but I, I always do what's best for the kid. You know, tell my kid their season is done from a knee injury or head injury or, or if they have to set out a game, at, like Tom said, that they've worked so hard to compete in. It's tough, but I – I love the kids too much, treat them, try and treat them like my own and, and make the best decisions that we can for their health long-term. Which is appreciated. Um, whether they want to admit it in the moment or not, it, it is. Um, you know, and, and for us at the high school level, a lot of the things that are going on now is a trickle down from the NFL because that's where everybody's awareness started. And that's where, um, you know, the heads up tackle program started and, and USA football became um, uh, basically a subsidiary of NFL and all of the things that they they started to do, we are starting to get the the uh, the effects of that and starting to see some of those things and and um, making us better, you know, and then from from the NFL, it went to college and from college it went to high school and from high school, it's now gone to youth. And I think if you look at the way football is treated, football is taught and the way football is played, we are significantly different in 2020 than we were in 2011 um, and, and in a better place. You know, even from our youth program, the way that we handle the introduction to football and, and the progression that you make 
through the through the early stages of football to where you end up um, is really quite significant, and I think that makes a huge difference for us as we as we sit in this position right now in 2020. Um, you know, one of the other big things is, is the awareness of concussions. You know, I remember being in high school and you know, big hit the first day of pads. Oh, you know, you, you knock the cobwebs loose, you know, oh my gosh, you know, you got your bell rung, you know, all those old terms that were there and nobody knew that that's what was going on. Nobody knew that. And that awareness now has put us in a position to be safer, in a position to diagnose correctly and to bring proper care to all of our athletes because of that awareness. And I think that's really significant for us too. And I, think I, agree, and that, I agree the awareness, even just on a reporting, kids are more aware of it and they will report symptoms now that we're aware of the injury a lot more than they did in 2011, like you said. Right. Um, so for me, the, the one thing that I wanted to do, I'm going to skip. I wanted to talk a little bit more about brainwash by Merrill Hodge, but, but I think uh, for time's sake, because um, I could talk about that book for quite a while. Um, I think we're going we're gonna to move on to final thoughts. Either you two have final thoughts on, on everything that we just talked about. Well, I'm okay skipping Merrill Hodge because that would be two Steelers in one podcast, and that's a little rough for a cowboy. But I, um, <laughs> I, I think back, just like you just talked about, Paul, I think back to college when, you know, I wasn't that great of a player, but I was on a lot of special teams. And, and you was, weren't worth 15 yards. I know that. Yeah, I was told that several times. And, you know, I, I set the – I set the wedge and I was a wedge breaker on kickoff. And I, I remember times where I can see, it'd be like seeing your face now in the camera. And then the next thing I know, I'm either on the ground or I'm over the top. You know, there's just a flash of light. And you know, what are those? Are those little mini concussions? Or is that, is that just my bell being rung? Is that just a hit? It's just, uh, I think our kids are, are much better off today with the treatment they get. Um, now, I don't ever think I had a concussion, but I might be a little crazier than most people think. You've forgotten about them. <laughs> Something like that. Memory Pete, else. you got any final thoughts on, on that, uh, on the Papa Burger section? Uh, no, I just appreciate you guys uh, having me on, um, joining the fun. I listen every week, so hopefully I, I did a decent guest spot for you. Well, regardless if, if you did a decent job or not, I mean, no matter what happens, you're going to get some feedback from old Cameron Greenley. She is going to fire away at uh, <laughs> what she thinks of how you did. Because she was sitting in the room when we went through and talked about our, our planning, like well, how this was going to. And he's going to get a gift card from Casey's from Chris. True, Corner, true. So. Sitting in my desk drawer. That's ready to roll anytime you're, not. Telling you're ready. That is okay. going straight, straight to Mountain Dew. Thank you, Chriswell. Okay, that's good. I like that. Um, and you know, one of the things that that he misses is is hearing from everybody as to what they they spent their their ten dollar gift card on. Um, from Casey. So, I figured um, history tonight. We would do athletic training in Iowa, and so I went to info, um, finding this information out at uh, iowaats.com backslash about. And so you can hop on there. Um, you know, in the, in 
The three state universities were in the 1800s, the University of Iowa, 1847, Iowa State University, 1862, and in 1876, the University of Northern Iowa. Um, and basically, they, they started intercollegiate athletics. And then because of that, the uh, beginning of athletic training happened um, that the, uh, um, in 1925 at the Drake Relays in Des Moines, Iowa, the first national organization of athletic trainers was developed. I think that's significant for us because at this point in time, and that, and I, I suppose I could go on longer, but that, that really is where I'm going to go. And I think one of the more significant things for us is that the Athletic Training Society of Iowa has become a force when they decided to become truly collective in, in, their, in their message and what it is that they're going after um, as far as the safety and, and improvements to um, the world of athletic training. And I think that's significant for us. And I think that, you know, 1925 at Drake Relays was, was a big moment um, for high school athletics. I think one of the other things, and, and if you people are smarter, well, you are, than I am. Um, Pete and I had this conversation. One of the things that would be really neat is if we could figure out a way to fund athletic training for every high school in the state of Iowa. And in football, there were 330 football playing schools this past year in Iowa. What does it take to get an endowment? How do you get an endowment rolling and how do you get it to continue to fund itself where you don't ever really have to put any money into it? What is that threshold? What number do you have to have? Because I think it would be advantageous for us to come up with the Athletic Training Society's endowment where we can help some of the lesser fortunate um, school districts pay for athletic trainers in their school system so that they have them. There's our brainchild right there, Pete. I just let the world in. Sweet. Hopefully we get someone to volunteer to help us out on that. Yeah. It, it, if not money, then at least knowledge on how we can get that rolling. And when I say the world, I meant like 120 people. All. It's not going to be Momoa because he didn't want to donate anything to a gym or anything like that because he said he was never in the bleepy bleep gym. So, okay, I don't know anybody else famous that would donate anything. Well, I'll I'll be honest with you. I got crazy and I thought maybe we could approach like the Kansas City Chiefs and the Minnesota Vikings for a way in which getting that started from, from the NFL side to help trickle that down into making athletics safer. It'd probably only be fair to ask Kirk Cousins to give some money back to uh, the public based on his performance, but Mahomes has been giving money away. I would tell you, based on what I watched last night, Kirk Cousins would make um, the Chicago Bears a Super Bowl contender based on how good their defense was. What, they have like 14 yards of offense in the second half? 14 in an NFL game. Okay, so that's it right there for, for the history. 1925, Athletic Training Society of, of, of Iowa created at Drake Relays. Um, and if you have any information on how an endowment works, get it out to us. Let us know so we can go and get going on that um, and try to go. So Pete, we're going to the positive. You're up. Positive. Paul put me on this because I've been giving him <laughs> feedback a couple other episodes and he just wanted to wash his hands of it. Um, fair enough. I think our, That's a fair our positive. 
think our positive that we need to highlight is all of our uh, volunteer event workers, our table workers, um, anyone else who helps out with our, our competitions. Um, we wouldn't be able to do it without a lot of those individuals. I'm going to talk about some that just I enjoy working with and are kind of here currently. And Paul might touch on some, some former longtime event workers. Um, Steve W. Wormskirkin for football. Awesome announcer. Nobody can match Steve's energy, no matter what he does, teaching or announcing. He's um, awesome. Also, side note with Steve Wormskirkin, remember, anytime you hear Vandalay, that is, that is for me, and that is a Seinfeld reference to uh, art. Um, and, and that's usually when something is, we're, we're either up big or, let, or down big. Um, usually there's a, there's a Vandalay that, that ends up on a tackle, and I absolutely love it. Not to be outdone by Mr. W, Mike Gavin did a great job doing his JV football announcing. He always had a funny way to get people interested in the concession stand. Um, always made the kids, even on the sideline, laugh with what he was trying to sell. Um, Tim Geyer, Tony Stravers doing the live stream. Um, in the past, they're awesome. When I go back into the live stream to watch like how an injury occurred, love hearing Tony. Um, he was a great part of our program, and I always like hearing his take on it. Um, for cross country, our our drivers, uh, Chad Kirkbedwell and Brian Downs, they keep things moving at the meets. Um, for volleyball, Kristen Geisler does a great job doing the, the table this year. Got bumped up from being a fantastic lines judge to scorekeeper. Um, basketball, Paul, you do the books for the boys. We appreciate that. Nikki Hunter gives up many nights um, to do the the clock for basketball wrestling Brian Downs the Dobo um, awesome announcer also helps out with track and field with all of the the baseball coaching staff um, Brian always gives me a great uh, personal athletic training announcement for wrestling meets that I appreciate um, Noah McDonald for baseball does a great job announcing. He stepped up the last couple summers and, and enjoy hearing a former athlete do that. He does a great job. Uh, for softball, Katie Flatness takes time away from the athletics department office um, to keep book for the softball team. Um, I will always have a spot next to me um, for Louise Seibert, longtime bookkeeper for softball. She's greatly missed. Um, Tim Clay does a great job with the announcing for football, volleyball, um, basketball and softball keeps up with the the trends gets all the kids dancing at um, timeouts or intermissions or everything great enthusiasm um, I will also have to give a shout out to Rick Stageman longtime announcer at Norwalk for basketball and soccer um, he left us to kind of pursue it professionally he has done every Iowa high school athletic association state game that I think we have been involved in there might have been a few games he has missed but he always somehow makes it to the Norwalk games for when we're at the county complex he was the announcer for our state basketball championship game when we won he was the announcer for our baseball championship game when we won um, unfortunately the kids are a little too young to have remembered him announcing um, but I know for myself and coaches and other fans, it's just a little slice of home um, when he's announcing for Norwalk, even when we're at those big old venues. 
So uh, really appreciate the volunteer event workers couldn't do it without them. And they take a lot of time away from their normal duties. Um, a lot of them are coaches in other sports, teachers, um, or working in the school. So we, we really appreciate that. And remember for years, Louise also did the book uh, for the girls. And yeah, sure. she also did the book on the uh, for away games for Chris and the boys because she drove the bus most of the time. So she, she doubled up there. Um, I drove the uh, football bus too. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for me, um, Sue Collins was also, also in there. She, you know, the entire time that Mike was, was here for uh, athletic director, she, she did the clock at, uh, at boys games. Um, she was always there um, taking care of that. And so it, it is a, it's a big undertaking, you know, to, to be in that spot for all that volunteer work and, and, um, we wouldn't be able to do all the things that we do without all of them. You know, and you could even keep going down in the world of football from statistics to um, the chain gangs. And, and, you know, even for us, having the doctors, the docs, if you will, on the, on the sideline for us. So um, a, a tremendous group for us as far as uh, that goes. You know, at one point in time, Chris Larson was the, was the guy on the, on the show um, for football, live, live feeds, and now – you know, him and John Mowinkle are, are doing, and Steve Wormerskirk is going to be the play-by or the color guy for uh, um, basketball coming up. So I think that's a great job out of UP um, coming up with and highlighting all, the, all those people that make things work. And I know I miss people, um, so I apologize if, you know, I miss anyone specifically, um, but that's what you get when you give a, a guest the, the chance to kind of run wild on that. So I um, apologize if I miss anybody, but we appreciate all of you. That was a terrible excuse and a whine all in one statement right there. Come on. Well, well that's I'm what pretty, you get I'm when you put. excited when, when you have Pete on next year and he has his list of everybody. And since you almost pink slipped me today. Oh, my gosh. I'll probably be commentating on soccer and football. At least Pete can say I'm giving back somehow. You are such, you are also a big, what is going on with you two tonight? Whiny. I'll, I'll come back when, when it's the Lee and Paul Patterson podcast show. I'll, I'll come back for that. Too. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, so, you know, Alan Stanley and, and, you know, this is one of those that, that we need some feedback in, in, you know, what questions do you have? What, what uh, statements do you have for us? What feedback do you have for us when it comes to all this? Um, and ask away on the questions and, and, um, one of the things that I'm going to try to do between our between now and our next episode with feedback is is get with Pete um, if there if there are specific medical questions or athletic training questions ask him and then I'll I'll help try to to be the buffer as far as getting that feedback back. I'm also willing to answer any medical questions. Yes, yes, that that's good. I we need we need people who are willing. Um, so again, just a, a quick recap. You know, number one. Um, Athletic Training Society of Iowa was created in 1925 at Drake Relays. Um, our positive of the of the podcast was all of the uh, all the workers that make events um, go, and and there's a bunch. So we're not going to recap that. Uh, our non-sponsor, you know, we think it's pretzels and and planters mixed nuts with uh, sea salt. Hey, what's sea salt? Um, and of course, this episode was called Mike Webster um, because we talked about concussions, and and you know he was the he was the first that led us down the path of CTE and discovering that um, maybe there's something a little bit more than what we thought originally was there when it comes to, to head injuries and things like that. Um, significant. Appreciate you, Pete, coming on. 
Scout, appreciate you being back. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, good grief. Whatever. Hey, you know what? At the end of the day, if I didn't want you back, I wouldn't tell you when this was happening. And I'd just ask Lee, and we would do it behind your back. That's okay. what would happen. Anyway, fine. I appreciate everybody listening. Um, you know, again, this doesn't happen without you and, and giving feedback. So remember, when you get a chance, send that on. Let us know what you've got going on. And, and um, all three of us are going to sign off, and I'll start. Thanks for listening. This is episode 28 of Talking the Walk. Mike Webster. I am Paul Patterson. I am Tom Scout, and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that Cole Hopkins still did not cover Doug Heritage. Boom. That's a great finish. Well done. He had to, he is an hour and 12 minutes into this sucker thinking he's through without having it, and then boom, dropped. Love it. And I'm Pete Sand. Closing time. Thank you for listening to the Talking the Walk podcast show. Yeah.